Hey, Anna, remember that time the founder of the Girl Scouts was made deaf by a grain of rice? I'm your host, Anna Webb. And I'm your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history. Welcome back. I felt when I was talking just now, I felt like I lost the use of my words. Like, (laughs) I don't know what is going on with me the past couple intros. It's like I can't get the words out. I don't know what is going on. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance for two things. A, the fact that this episode will definitely be late. And B, that I am (laughs) the way that I am because um it's tech week Um, amanda's a theater person now yeah i am assistant (laughs) stage managing a play and have been co-directing it and i've never done that before i've done a little bit of stage management but i'm like in charge of backstage you didn't really like grow up in theater no my partner is a theater person and i started doing stuff as favors and now i really love it and so yeah. I'm doing it, but this is like a, we're doing Wizard of Oz and we have 35 children as the munchkins and it's chaos. Um, yeah. And we Lots have of... been at the theater until 11 o'clock multiple times this <laughs> yeah. week and I'm very it's tired. Week, so uh, almost all of my friends in college were theater kids. And I, it was like a very real thing that I was like, I will not be involved. With that. Yeah. Um, no, thank you. It's not good for me and my stress levels, mm-hmm. but you know it's fine yeah so i'm i'm excited raring to go am also exhausted so apologize in advance if uh nothing makes any sense i was taking notes while actively watching twilight with my friends last night so like what is happening i don't know this is where we're at (laughs) this is where we're at i'm also suffering from some world cup fatigue um (laughs) your girl loves the world cup i have not been waking up for all of the middle of the night games because the world cup is in australia and new zealand which is like wild in terms of the time difference um but it will be elimination round soon which means i will be waking up and um so the next podcast your girl is gonna be loopy as hell oh boy <laughs> so yeah fair warning okay can we, like a we drink get, update? yeah i was gonna say should we get started with the drink update i'm having a coca-cola from mcdonald's <laughs> Ah, uh, important specification. I know. Because it's different if it's not from McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I got it for lunch today. I've been nursing it for a couple hours. I got a large. Nice. Yeah. I'm drinking a water from my sink. I, I was almost going to be just water today. And then I was like, I got a new setup. Every time I have just water, it's a curse. So I'm not going to risk it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Me too. Because if we had to re-record this in the middle of the week that I'm having, it would not happen. Show opens on Thursday, and I'm insane. Well, let's just knock on wood. Got a new wood desk here. We'll knock on that. (laughs) All right, let's hit it. Let's go. Yes, today we are talking about my friend and yours, the founder of the Girl Scouts, Juliet Gordon Lowe. Um, Literally, little, we were both Girl Scouts. I was about to say, yeah. Little backstory: Anna and I were both Girl Scouts. You, what? When did you start? When did you end? I started in brownies and I only went to juniors because my leader quit. So I never got to finish, which I was mm-hmm. really sad about. But. I started in cadets, but I started in cadets when I was in like sixth grade. And that's the highest, well, seniors is the highest rank, but it's like the same. And I did yeah. it all the way till I graduated. And then my leader's gift to all of us for graduation was lifelong memberships. So I am still yeah. technically a Girl Scout. 
I don't think I got a lifelong membership, but I honestly yeah. can't remember. It was a long time ago, and I was mm-hmm. always, I'm still a little bitter that I didn't get to get finish I didn't out get to be a cadet or yeah. You know. I did a gold award and everything. I didn't get to do the gold award. Yeah, it yeah. Was, it was the major drama of my childhood. If we're being honest. <laughs> I love um, being a Girl Scout, though. Yeah, we are passionate supporters of the Girl, Scout, Girl Scouts on this podcast. And um, I've always wanted to do an episode on her, so here we are. Yeah. All right. I think I could probably still do the Girl Scout law. Probably. I know. I don't know the whole law by heart, but I still know the pledge. I certainly know the pledge. On my honor. I don't want to say it at the same time because it's going to sound gross on the recording. <laughs> <laughs> I will try. To serve God and my and country. And my country. <laughs> And to live by the Girl Scout law. To live by the Girl Scout law. That's right. And I am doing the hand signal. Yes, you are. Thank you so much. Okay. So let's talk about it. Yeah. All right. Juliet McGill Kinsey Gordon is born in Savannah, Georgia on October 31st, 1860. Halloween baby. Ooh, a Halloween baby. To William Washington Gordon II and Eleanor Lytle Kinsey. Um, she has the nickname Daisy throughout her childhood. Um, of course. Of course. Uh, I don't know where that comes from. Like, if it it's was cute. a common nickname for something or if it's just something she picked up, but she was, was Daisy. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's the second of six children, and she is named after her grandmother, Juliet Augusta McGill Kinsey. So, grandmother on her mom's side. That's where right. the Kinsey comes from. Um, her father is a cotton broker. Which is like, yikes. Um, yeah. And we're going to get into some more yikes in a second. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. her mother's family helped to found Chicago, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, like her extended wow. family were a part of the group that did that. Huh. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Um, now, unfortunately, her father does join the Confederate Army when she is six months old. Because they live in Georgia in the 1800s and he's a cotton broker. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's not fun. Uh, in 1864, her mother and sisters moved to Thunderbolt, Georgia, briefly Thunderbolt. because yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because the Union troops are advancing. Um, oh no. Yeah. Shortly <laughs> after the Union troops take Savannah, um, but their their family is good friends with the Union General William Sherman, who's like a pretty famous Union general. Yeah. Um, and it they were like a friend of it was a friend of their uncles, um, and he helps them move to Chicago in 1865 because this is in that in between time where yeah. Lincoln had a plan for the South. Lincoln was assassinated, so they were revising the plan for the South because uh, the next guy was a wimp and a coward. That's right. <laughs> um, so it made it a lot harder. Uh, yeah, so they moved to Chicago briefly when they first get there juliet gets sick sick with brain fever um yeah right um she does recover without very many complications but it's the start of a long history of her just being very sick through her whole life brain fever sounds like the worst possible kind of fever (laughs) yeah she's very sick we're gonna talk about more of her illnesses as we go um, they stay in Chicago for a few months, but Andrew Johnson then issues am- the amnesty proclamation for Confederate soldiers because he's a coward. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and her family returns to Savannah because they are no longer concerned about implications for being. They're in no the longer army. basically being exiled. Yeah. Like essentially, that's what happened. It's like yep. they 
went into voluntary exile. <laughs> they did because right? they were afraid they were going to get arrested and tried. Right. Well, they should have. Yeah. Well, at least her dad should he, have. Yeah, he kids, should have. not so yeah. much. Their children. But, you know. Yeah. Um. So that was like the beginning of her childhood was the American Civil War. What a weird time to enter the world. Yeah. But she was very young through most of that. So, like, genuinely, sure. as we go through the rest of her life, it doesn't have that big of an influence on her. Um, her family right. was very rich, so they w- went mostly untouched by all of that. Like, you know. Crazy. Even if her dad wasn't a cotton broker, there was still so much old money in that family that, like, sure. it probably yeah. wouldn't have mattered that much. Um, she's a very accident-prone child. She, at one point, severely breaks two of her fingers in 1866 to the point where her parents considered amputation. Like, that was how bad it was. Isn't that wild? Um, She has frequent earaches and bouts of malaria. Bouts. Bouts of malaria. Okay. I know what the earaches are like. (laughs) (laughs) I had frequent earaches as a child. Um, She has partial hearing loss in her childhood. Um, And eventually, she, she ends up going deaf in both ears. Um, and the, like, reason for this is an untreated infection, so it was part of that chronic ear infections that she had when she was a kid, and also a small grain of rice. And I never found the story there. (laughs) How does that, how, okay. She got a grain of rice in there, she got an infection, it never got treated properly, she lost hearing. Like, I think is what it is. I just can't think of what the, um sequence of events would have been for where she got that in there grain of rice to get stuck yes that's wild yeah it was weird um when she's very young she likes to write poetry in plays uh she spends a lot of her childhood with her um you know family of very rich cousins um Mm -hmm. they're all friends and that those are like her peers when she's young And so they start a newspaper called the Malbone Bouquet. Oh my god, I love that. Um, And it features some of her early poetry. I love the idea of a bunch of kids starting a newspaper similar to the way they would start like a lemonade stand or something. Yeah, yeah. It Um, seems like something I would have done in my childhood. (laughs) Uh, Her and her cousins also form the Helpful Hands Club. That is something I would have done. Yes. 100%. One of their projects... One of their projects is learning to sew so that they can make clothes for children of Italian immigrants. I love that. So you see her attitude of service very early in her life. Yeah. I was just going to say, I would have started a club like that, except I had the Girl Scouts. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She starts boarding schools when she's about 12. She jumps around to several of them. Miss Emmett School in New Jersey, the Virginia Female Institute, the Edge Hill School, one that I, a French finishing school in New York that I couldn't even begin to try and Mademoiselle. Okay, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so she jumps around to a lot of boarding schools. When she is at Edge Hill boarding school she joins the group theta tau which is not the the fraternity but shares the name with the fraternity it's it's almost like the baby version of it you know um and it this is a group that like you know they meet and they do service projects and they earn badges Mm -hmm. so there again we see a little like sprinkling you know yes of course um in 1880 her sister alice dies and she moves back to savannah to help around the house while her mother grieves sure um, so she had been living in New York. She moves back. And when she's in Georgia, she meets William McKay Lowe. 
And how, sorry, how many siblings did she have? Is six it just total. Bella? Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, she was where two did, of where six. Did she fall? Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, she was, so she was, was one Alice, of the olders. Was Alice older than her? Do you know? I do not know. I never found the list of her other siblings' names, okay, so I'm gotcha. not sure. I was just gonna. I was just wondering. Was she like one of the older children, and that's why she kind of had the responsibility to mm-hmm. help? Or if it was a younger children, a child, and the mom was grieving that and well, needed sure, assistance or whatever. Other older kids might have also been there to do that to help. She, yeah. yeah. Um. So this guy William McKaylo is a friend of their families, um, and they start courting. He. Uh, Sorry, this concept of courting just. Oh yeah. Me laugh. Yeah. Uh, he leaves to study at Oxford shortly after they meet, and they don't see each other again for another three years. Wow. I didn't really find anything uh, about whether they were, like, still courting through all of that. It kind of seems like they were, because um, they meet again after that, and he proposes in 1885. So it mm. seems like they probably were. She also travels Europe. The whole time that he is at Oxford. Love that for her. Yeah. So she said she, me too. <laughs> yeah. She learns shorthand, bareback riding, and partridge hunting all while he is there. Bareback riding? Yeah. Riding? Scandal. What? She's she's the drama. No saddle and, and not side saddle? What? Crazy. A revolutionary woman. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so he proposes in 1885, and they get married on December 21st, 1886, in Savannah. Um, and that also happens to be her parents' wedding anniversary, which I thought was really cute, that that's when she got married. Um, they end up leasing land in Scotland and in London. So they spend the social season in London and the hunting season in Scotland. Yeah, so if you were questioning how very rich they are. Yeah. So they're (laughs) Southern socialites. They can afford multiple homes. Yeah. Southern socialites who went to England for schooling, basically. Not technically for her, but like, yes, she did. But she went to boarding schools. Right. Um, So that's, they both just liked it over there. So they moved. I get it. Um, They spend most of the, their first two years of marriage apart. Uh, he is, she's very ill still, like she's just prone to illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's often away on hunting trips and like gambling. So they just don't Ugh. spend very much time together. Classic. Um, but she works on improving herself the whole time that she is living, you know, there mostly by herself. Uh, she gets into painting, woodworking, and metalworking. I think this is really interesting. She designed and built the iron gates for her home in Warwickshire. Wow. Isn't that so interesting? That's cool. Um, Also, they had a lot of famous friends. So when she hosted Mm. parties, she often hosted famous friends, including Albert Edward, the Prince of Wales. Yo. King George. Yep. Okay. Uh, Or King Edward prior to King George. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, Rudyard Kipling, whose wife was related to her mother. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) So she has all kinds of connections. Like, I'm going to drop a lot of famous names as we go through this because she knew a lot of people. And interesting people, too. Like, I don't know. Uh, She devotes a ton of her time to charity work. So she uh, works with women with leprosy, which her husband really did not like. Yeah. Uh, she feeds Diana. It's yes. Yeah. She, um, feeds the poor in a local village. She joins a nursing association so that like Mm -hmm. 
her dedication to learning lots of crafts and uh, charity work are constant there throughout her life. Yeah. Yep. Um, by 1850, sorry, yes, fi- by 1895, <laughs> wow. Yep, zip, 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 by 1895, Juliet and her husband are unhappy in their marriage. They've spent most mm. of their time apart. Uh, he doesn't support her charity work. She has a lot of trouble conceiving. Um, she has not been able to have children yet. And he starts having affairs and drinking very heavily, like, oh, around man. this it's time. It's a tale as old as time right Truly. here. Um, so they sort of continue in this unhappy marriage, just not seeing each other very often. Well, yeah, because you weren't likely to get a divorce back then right away, you know? Right. You, you yes. were likely to... If you're going to divorce at all, you're definitely going to stick it out for a while. <laughs> exactly. Because it's better to not get a divorce. Right. Uh, in 1901, they host at their house a woman named Anna Bridges Bateman, mm-hmm. who was like the widow of some famous guy. I don't know. Um, and while she's staying there, Juliet finds out that she's having an affair with William. And she Yikes. leaves to go stand with some, stay with some family. Anna and does. she's worried that he's going to divorce her. Wait, Anna leaves or Juliet leaves? Juliet leaves. Okay. Yeah. Um, And she's worried that William is going to divorce her. Yeah. So she writes him a letter and asks him to take a year to decide if he wants a divorce. And Hmm. he initially was not thinking about that. But after the year, he asks her that they start living separately. So she put the idea in his head. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, never play your hand. (laughs) Never play your hand. And if you're not sure, just wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they start permanently living separately. Mm-hmm. Not divorced yet or anything, but, you know. Right. And then he starts to withhold money from her until she agrees to a divorce. Ugh. Men. She talks to a lawyer and she finds out that to get a divorce, she yeah. has to either prove adultery and desertion or adultery and cruelty yeah because a woman couldn't just get a divorce because Mm -hmm. she wanted to right and he's Uh, he could he could sue her for a divorce for any reason right but But she could not um, sue him he's they both have high enough places in society that he probably wouldn't sue her um well a divorce is basically suing someone right essentially right right Right. so it depends on who's taking the action in Mm -hmm. this case at this point in time it was all Mm -hmm. about like does he want the divorce or is she she trying to get her to sign the paperwork okay then that can happen for any reason does she want it okay then she's got a big burden of proof she Mm -hmm. has to prove with actual physical evidence mm-hmm. that he's having an affair that's the way she can get out of it right yeah and he doesn't want to be the one to do it he wants the divorce right. but he doesn't because want to be the one to do it doesn't look good right right um but to prove that she would have to name anna bateman yeah and socially that would cause so many problems that she doesn't want to do that right she's a girl um, yeah she's not so gonna it, throw anna under the bus really slows down the process yeah. Now that now it's just a lengthy legal battle because she doesn't she's not going to prove anything. It's just a matter of, and then we agree to this, and then we don't, and then we agree to this, and then we don't. Right. You know what I mean? She's not going to just concede and say, "Okay, you can have everything you want," right? Yeah, she's going to fight him on it a little bit. <laughs> um, in late 1902, she receives some money from her husband for the first time in two years. 
Oh. Um, so they come to enough of an agreement that he's giving her some money to live on. Man, that bugs me too. Yeah. Because she comes from money. Yep. But it's she all his have once her they get own married. Money, but the second they get married, mm-hmm. it's his money. That Oh, that makes me crazy. Yeah. Uh, she uses that and some of her savings to rent a house in London. They come to an agreement that she will get uh, 2,500 pounds a year and the her original house in Savannah, the low house in Savannah, that she gets that to keep that. crazy mm-hmm. because she would be living on way more than that per year right. had they not gotten married in the first place. Um, <laughs> she then... With some of that money in 1903, buys herself a house in London and a house next door that she can then rent for income. You work. <laughs> she said, okay, I'll buy two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, then in 1904, William has a stroke. Or it, oh, no. What I read was what appeared to be a stroke. They don't know for sure what happened to him, but like we'll, in a minute it will become clear that it was probably a stroke. Um. So she temporarily stops the divorce proceedings because she basically says he can't defend himself because his brain isn't functioning. Yo, that is generous, okay? I know. <laughs> I don't know if it would be me. That's <laughs> She didn't have to do that, you know? Right. Um, his conditions improve by the sort of middle of 1905, so the proceedings start again. But then William dies of a seizure on June 8th of 1905. And okay. their divorce is not finalized before he dies. So that so causes... So she inherits everything or mm, does it Hold problems? on. Now, mm. hold on now. Oh, no. Um, After his funeral, they find out that he left <gasps> almost everything to Bateman and revoked his deal for that 2500 a year for her. What? A- wow. Okay. So we found the real villain of the piece. Yeah. You thought it was the Confederate soldier. Turns out... He was he was um, low stakes compared to this guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, he, William's sisters contest the will with Juliet. Good. Um, and they eventually get her a large sum of money, the low house in Savannah, its land, her stocks, and her securities. So she good gets, for those sisters. Yeah, they said that's ridiculous. His <laughs> like, mistress our is sucks. yeah. His mistress is not taking all of our family money and right. her family money. Right, totally. She's gonna yeah, get back what she it's had. Their money too, and yes. and because Juliet doesn't have any children, mm-hmm. if Juliet dies, who's gonna inherit all that money? The sisters right. probably. So yeah, yeah, because she's she is now a Gordon Low. Right. So exactly. Yeah. Um, after, oh, sorry, hold on, I lost my spot. There we go. Um, after this, she spends a little bit of time sort of trying to find her passion. She's like, okay, sure. so I don't have this guy anymore, I don't have any kids, I've got money to live, I, like, I'm, I'm, you know, rich, so I don't have a job. But that's been taking up my whole life is over now. Yes. What do I do? <laughs> last several yeah. years of my life has been consumed by this divorce, like. Right. And she probably had to stop a lot of her charity work and like you said like her kind of self-improvement work to do all of to this. do all of that yeah yeah so she in may of 1911 meets the founder of the boy scouts sir uh-huh. robert Br- Braden powell yeah um so boy scouts began as a british organization right and we'll get into the boy scouts of america later because oh my god oh my god Wait, from the start okay yeah um <laughs> yeah 
so she meets him and then is becomes very interested in this concept of scouting. Right. Because at she the time, kind of already had experience. Right. Yeah. At the time, especially, like, it's not, it's actually a little less about service for the boys at this point. I mean, it's still, there's still a service yeah. aspect, but it's actually mostly just improving physical skills and, yeah. like, military preparedness. Yeah. Because it is just before <laughs> World War One. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's, all of that is in the background, right? And it's um, like, yes, that's what's valuable to them at that point. You, you think about like the culture of it in America versus Britain, like survival skills, not as high on their priority list over there, probably. Right. right? They have kind of less massive wild country than the, right. the people in uh, the U.S. Right. did at the time. Right. So, yeah. Um, in August of that year, she starts getting invite, involved with the Girl Guides. Which we is talked the, about them with Elizabeth? Yes, with Elizabeth, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the girl-centered offshoot of the Boy Scouts, and right. it's run by Agnes uh, Brayden Powell, who is Robert's sister. Right. So she is the founder of the Girl Guides. Um, and so she falls in love with this concept. Because theirs oh. is more service-centered, but it's also about, what like... what did. <laughs> yes, but it is also about learning new skills... Yeah. Um, there's that element of the military preparedness. Like, she's very drawn to this group. Yeah. She forms a girl guide patrol in Scotland near her home. Uh, th- she encourages members to become self-sufficient. So they learn to spin wool and care for livestock, mm. knot tying, map reading, knitting, cooking, first aid. Um, and then she has military friends who do drilling, signaling, camping, like the right. basic skill stuff. Right. So all of those early scouting things. Totally. You know? Yeah. Uh, she visits London in 1911 and forms two new groups while she's there. The Girl Guides are already a pretty established organization. She is now just, like, taking it on and helping to form new. Uh, for them, it's patrols. Right. We'll we'll we talk later about troops. for us it's troops for them it's right. patrols. Um, in 1912, she returns to George to Georgia with Robert Braden Powell mm-hmm. because she wants to start girl guide patrols in her hometown and she wants to spread this movement in America. Boy right. Scouts had already made it to America, but girl guides had not yet made it over. Right. Uh, I I really liked this quote. It is a very famous quote of hers that she calls her cousin, Nina Pape, and says, I've got something for the girls of Savannah and all America and all the world, and we're going to start it tonight. Yes. <laughs> it's like one of her very famous quotes about the oh, Girl yeah. Scouts. Yeah. In March of 1912, she forms the first two American Girl Guide patrols. There's 18 members in the first groups Troops. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she gains some support for her first patrols through her social connections. So a lot of her early patrons are friends and family. Um, but she also advertises for it in newspapers and magazines. So it's not just rich kids joining these troops because she's advertising it to this. Right, right. (laughs) But she's advertising it to everybody. And saying Um, anyone can join. And she's also asking for patron money from anybody. Now, most of the people she convinces are her rich family and friends, but she's making an active effort to make it. But also, you know, there are probably a lot of patrons who are like, childless older women or or widows mm-hmm. who don't really have 
you know, children of their own to invest in. I would imagine a lot of women in that position would be like, well, I'll invest in those girls. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, by the next year, she has released the first American Girl Guides manual, which is called How Girls Can Help Their Country. <laughs> and it's based on the books that Robert and Agnes had made for their original troops. So Robert's is Scouting for Boys, and Agnes's is How Girls Can Help Build Up the Empire. Ugh, boy. Right. Which is where <laughs> she gets the How Girls Can Help Their Country. Right. You know? Um, the very first American Girl Guide headquarters is in a remodeled carriage house behind that Savannah home that she had inherited right. from her late husband. I thought this was really interesting. The, uh, Edmund Sturdwick Nash rented what? the main, <laughs> yeah, rented the main house from Juliet. And he offered to pay the rent on the carriage house as his contribution oh. to the Girl Guides. So oh. instead of being like a patron of the organization, he paid he the paid rent on their... the headquarters. Interesting. And the and then they also used the land outside for scouting. Like sure. well, for sure. camping and basketball and like all this oh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because basketball was like one of the few yeah. sports that girls played Girl, kind yes. of actively in that That's time true. period. Mm-hmm. She starts traveling up and down the East Coast, helping to establish new Girl Guide patrols, um, and she's still looking for patrons. Uh, She meets with President Taft. Yes, I knew this. Yeah. Yeah. Because she wants to convince him to have his daughter become a patron for the Girl Guides. And he doesn't agree to that, but... It shows you the kind of connections that she had. This is not well, the first president she's going to talk to. It shows you the kind of moves she's trying to make. That's yes. what I was going to say, right? Like, she wants the important people in the country to say, this is a valuable mm-hmm. thing that girls should be taking part in because mm-hmm. it is benefiting them as young girls. <laughs> and right? here's the other important feature of that, too. She not only wants this to be a national movement, she also wants it to be the national movement. Yes. Right. So the American Girl Guys are not the only scouting group for girls in America at this point. The big competition is the Campfire Girls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the Campfire Girls is a group that was founded by James E. West, who is the chief executive of Boy Scouts of America. Right. Another villain of the piece. Oh, We yeah. do not care for West. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the... Campfire girls practiced much stricter gender roles right. than the girl guides. Right. Because Not just in membership, but in the activities. Yes. Yeah. He wants the girl guide or the campfire, the campfire girls, girls to be prepared and knowledgeable women. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like he wants them to and be only very to much the women. Extent that, you know, like, and someday you will get a husband. And yeah, need a and lot of and this. hopefully you'll find a husband through the Boy Scouts. Like that's right. the yes. energy. Yeah. Totally. In March of 1912, Juliet asks that the Campfire Girls and the Girl Guides merge mm-hmm. because they are both sprouted from the Boy Scouts. Right. right? Boy Scouts in England sprung the Girl Guides and Boy Scouts of America. So the right. logical step is for the Campfire Girls and the American Girl Guides to just merge and right. become one group. And Wes refuses. Shock. Because he believes that the Girl Guide activities are, quote, gender inappropriate. Mm-hmm. 
And, and he doesn't want to work with a woman. Right. Well, and that the masculinity of the Boy Scouts would be questioned if the girls were participating in similar activities. This is very much his energy the whole oh, time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Juliet is determined, yeah, and she, she wants the Girl Guides to be the primary scouting organization in America. But the Campfire Girls are growing more quickly at this well, they point. Were, yeah, they've got a lot more, more power. Time. Yeah. Um, and so she goes back to England for a few months to get some guidance from the British Girl Guides, because she sure. has a lot of friends over there. They they've are very well established. Yeah. So she's she goes over there to plan. She comes back in 1913. She's got her plan. She's going to change the organization's name to Girl Scouts. She said, oh, we're coming straight for the Boy Scouts too, baby. She said, oh, Boy Scouts? Then we're the Girl okay. Scouts. Girl Scouts, exactly. Right. Um, She wants to establish a national headquarters because they have like a local headquarters. Right. But she wants to make a national headquarters. And she wants to do more recruiting outside of Georgia. There this are is literally, sorry, this is literally Leslie Nope forming the Pawnee Goddesses. Pawnee Goddesses. Yes, it is. <laughs> She's um, like, oh, girls can't join? Okay. We'll make a much better me. group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so she has some groups outside of Georgia, but not a lot. And almost none of her patrons are outside of Georgia because so many sure. of them are family friends. So right. she wants to start hunting for new patrons and new organizations outside mm -hmm. of Georgia. So when she comes back to Savannah, I think this is really interesting. She found out that the Savannah Girl Guides had already renamed huh. themselves Girl Scouts because Scout reminded them of America's pioneer ancestry. Interesting. Isn't that delightful? That's kismet. I, I mean, love I that. Don't, I don't love the idea of it coming from the pioneer ancestry because it's like, oh, you mean the colonizers? But right. <laughs> but but also but like the that was fact a, that they had already done it. That was, was really a men's history, the pioneers, and the fact sure. that the girls were like, well, what we're doing is what they were doing, so we sure. should be scouts too. Like, yeah. I don't, there's something about that that I just really it's enjoy. It's very interesting that they they thought of it on their own for other reasons, and it yeah. just happened at the same time. Yeah. Like, that's really interesting. Um, in 1913, she sets up a national headquarters in D.C. <laughs> she hires Edith Johnson to be the national executive secretary, and this headquarters is like, where troops will buy their badges and right. her book, her scouting book. And, and where troops will, like, they'll file their paperwork to Right, any official. materials that they need yeah. and gets distributed from here, all that kind right. of stuff. Like, they needed a central organization. She also starts traveling the country to recruit leaders, members, and sponsors. I um, read this little quote that I put in here on the, I think it was from the National Women's Hall of Fame website about mm. her. Uh, but I thought this was so funny. When attending a fashionable luncheon, she would trim her hat with carrots and parsley, exclaiming to guests, oh, is my trimming sad? I can't afford to have this hat done over. I save all my money for my Girl Scouts. You know about the Scouts, don't you? <laughs> we love a saleswoman. Yes. Um, so she still is the primary funder of the girl scouts but she does get a couple other like kind of high-powered patrons like yeah. eleanor roosevelt's godmother yeah. and thomas edison's wife become patrons during this time period like i wonder how thomas felt about that i don't know it seems like he wouldn't like the girl scouts right 
I don't just, know. Just knowing I think who Thomas he Edison was as a person. I think he wouldn't think about the Girl Scouts. <laughs> I feel that he wouldn't consider them. Fair enough. In his day-to-day life. I guess. He's the kind of person who would be like, oh, you so found a project, she, honey? Good for you. Yeah, like, I was going to say, maybe she just did it and he didn't know the difference. I think he that's very like, much what? what? Okay, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um. Oh, hold on. Delilah's trying to come in. No, it's M. Oh, my God. I thought it was Delilah. It was M coming in. That's so funny because all I saw was the door. Yeah, I also only saw the door. And then instead of Delilah's little head, it was M's head. What do you mean? What do you mean? This is like that scene from The Office when Michael's crawling around. When he's trying to start that is how business. Delilah opens the door, and I was so sure that it was Deli coming in. I well, didn't see it, I didn't see him a single time on the <laughs> that. It's like that scene in the office when Michael's crawling around trying to get them all to come with him. Yeah, to yes. <laughs> she just went Sawyer dared me, and then went back don't downstairs. Look, don't look at me. Look, look up. <laughs> look up. Look up. Oh my good lord! <laughs> that was really okay. funny. Um. Anyway. <laughs> She also designs and patents the trefoil badge to be the symbol of the Girl Scouts. This is my favorite move she makes because the Boy Scouts also use a trefoil symbol. Yes, they do. She has every right to the trefoil symbol also because they are also stemmed from the Boy Scouts organization. And the Boy Scouts did not patent it. Right. She also, she designs her own trefoil sure. to patent too. It it's not the, like it's the yeah. same drawing. She designs her own trefoil. West hates this. Of course he does. Oh, he got so mad. He claimed that it belonged to the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts have no right to use it. And, she and said, if the hmm, Girl Scouts... Maybe if you had more business savvy, you would have done this in the right. first place. But I guess you're just a stupid man who doesn't know any better. <laughs> if the Girl Scouts start calling themselves Scouts, then the boys are going to be embarrassed to be Scouts. Because the girls are but Scouts. only if you teach them to exactly. be embarrassed. Those kids do not care. They right? don't my care. My man. <laughs> um, but I'm obsessed with the fact that she patented that and that it made I them angry. I love that I think her. it's hilarious. I love it. Uh, she goes back to London that summer. She meets King George V and Queen mm-hmm. Mary of Tech. Yeah. Um, and receives the Girl Guide Thanks badge from Princess Louise for promoting uh, scouting mm-hmm. and guiding. Yeah. Uh, so now we're go- getting into World War One. World War One starts here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has less to do with the scouting, but I thought it was an interesting fact. She rents um, Castle Menzies in Scotland just around this time and she lets a family of belgian refugees move in like for the course of the war which i just thought was really interesting that's that acts of service baby um this is a wild fact that (laughs) freaked me out when i learned it (laughs) sorry i wish everybody could have seen what you just did (laughs) finger she she literally put her finger in the air this is a wild fact this is a wild fact (laughs) on february 13th 1915 after having been in London for a while, she sails back to America. That's no big deal, right? No, she sails back to America are on the RMS Lusitania. <laughs> and I don't know if y'all know this, <laughs> I but know. three months later, the Lusitania is destroyed by a German U-boat and is not the start of World War One for America, but is one of the biggest factors. Contributing factor, yes. She was on that boat three months wow. before it sunk, which is crazy to me. I mean, I know a lot crazy. of people were, but, like, that's wild to me. Anyway. Um, so it's been, the Girl Scouts have been growing well. Uh, the organization has 73 patrons 
and 2,400 registered members. She decides to write a constitution to sort of centralize Mm -hmm. the organization further. Uh, And she finds that she forms an executive committee and a national council of scouts. And she holds the first national council council meeting under the name Girl Scouts Incorporated on June 10th, 1915. And she is elected the organization's founding president. So it's like, it has been an official organization, but now it's like an official organization. Bylaws and Actively being governed. Yeah. Yes. Um, There is a big movement of growth for the Girl Scouts once World War One begins because once the U.S. Of... enters World War One, yes, yeah, once right? the U.S. Yeah. enters, yeah, because everybody goes off, all the men go off to war, yeah. and everybody on the home front is getting asked to help, and here's this organization of girls yeah. who have been practicing service and basic survival skills yeah. for years. It's a and really all of their practical mothers, leap. All yes. of their mothers are running the show at home. Yeah, they're doing all the work in the country because the men are off. Mm-hmm. It is such a practical leap for this yeah. organization to take, I think. Yeah. Um, in 1916, she moves the headquarters from D.C. to New York. Um, I don't really know why. I just think it's probably just a little easier. It was probably a logistical thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, also in 1916, she briefly goes to England to help raise funds for a home for wounded soldiers in in an effort with the Girl Guides over there. It's a joint project. Sure. Um, while she's there, she volunteers volunteers in the home three nights a week um and she returns to the u.s in november uh one of the big projects especially for dc girl scouts was growing harvesting and canning their own food because of the national thrifting program um just asking people to save was again a very logical leap for these girls to make um herbert hoover writes to juliet thanking her for her contributions to the girl scouts and expressing hope that others would follow suit. Um, and then the Girl Scouts respond by helping the Red Cross make surgical dressings and knitting clothes for right. soldiers. Because they're learning how to knit and sew. Mm-hmm. They make, like, scrapbooks for wo- wounded soldiers, right. work on making um, clothes, smokeless trench candles for them to keep their food That's with. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I had heard um, of them making those Being before. a part of that. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Um, in 1917, Herbert Hoover's wife, Lou, becomes the national vice president. Mm-hmm. And Woodrow Wilson's second wife, Edith, is, an, is the honorary president. Right. So, again, these very important connections. We are approaching the era of Eleanor Roosevelt. Right? right, where she, the first she lady started, has a project. Yes, she started getting the first ladies involved, and mm-hmm. that is super important because yeah. they're like considered at this time to kind of be the mothers of the nation, right? And, and if they want their daughters involved in it, and they want to be involved in it. Other women are going to want their daughters right. involved in it. I, and I've talked a lot about the fact that Eleanor Roosevelt is what we really consider the first first lady like for sure. what we consider in first terms ladies. of how it actually functions like at kind of as a job i mean it's yeah. not a paid position but it is a a job right but right. juliet really has a big influence on asking these women not to be more politically involved but to be more socially involved which right. is the first step towards that political involvement that eleanor brings in absolutely so yeah 
Um, after World War One, there is an interest in making an international scouting organization for girls. Mm-hmm. And Olave Baden-Powell, who's the wife of Robert Baden-Powell, she was like right. the chief guide for Girl Guides. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, creates the International Council of Girl Guides. Uh, their first meeting takes place in London, and Juliet goes as the U.S. representative. Because sure. although the Girl Scouts are no longer Girl Guides, they are still the American Girl Guides. Yeah, they're still, like, sister sister organizations. Yeah, they are, like, everybody else. The other international organizations are also Girl Guides, but the Girl Scouts are the U.S. Girl Guides. Right. Very firmly. Yeah. Um... In 1920, she decides to step down as president so she can devote more time to promoting the scouting and the international organization. Mm. Um, She wants to travel more so she can help establish the international group. So she steps down. Uh, She's still very active, though. Uh, I thought this was interesting. She worked on and appeared in The Golden Eaglet, which is the first Girl Scout movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) they during this these are just lots of little fun facts about her work at a fundraising campaign in new york during girl scout week she drops girl pamphlets she drops pamphlets into a crowd of people from an airplane <laughs> look it's rye from woof mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um and also on october 31st during that girl scout week they celebrate their first founders day uh i was going to say is, it's her birthday yes um cool. to honor her for her work um, and Girl Scouts today still celebrate Founders Day yes, on her do. birthday. Yeah. Right. Uh, they have their very first Girl Scout convention in 1922 in Savannah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, after that convention, Juliet starts planning Cloudlands, which is a camping facility in Cloudland, Georgia, which is meant lovely for. Yeah. For a um, camping, you know. It camera. says to, designed to train leaders and girls together, but it was like the first Girl Scout camp. Right. Um, <laughs> eventually, that is renamed to Camp Juliet Lowe, which is sure. what it still is today. Yep. Yeah. Cloudlands is better, though. No offense. It is. It is. It's so lovely. Where mm-hmm. are we going camping this weekend? We're going to Cloudlands. We're going to the Cloudlands. We're going to the Cloudlands. <laughs> um, so Juliet discovers that she has breast cancer in 1923. Uh, and it's never fun to have cancer in 1923 because there is <laughs> or at just, all, but definitely right, not. In there's just nothing to do about that, basically. Yeah. Like there yeah. was so little known at that point. Right. Uh, she Especially decides about to, cancers that were common in women. Yes. You know. Um. She decides to keep it a secret and continues her work because she doesn't want it to have to stop her work. Uh. She has an operation to remove malignant lumps and then catches the flu shortly after while she's recovering. Mm. So she ends up being bedridden until February of 1924 while she's recovering. Was she still, like, I don't know if you know, but was she still, like, getting sick throughout a lot of her career and setting up the Girl Scouts? Because that's wild. She was like less of it once she started her work. So So maybe it's just not documented or maybe she just, because she was maybe living kind of a healthier more active she life yeah maybe she just wasn't getting as sick as well. yeah i don't know um she goes back to work with the scouts after she recovers from that and uh secretly has two more surgeries during that time and this i thought was wild 
she snuck away during recovery from one of her surgeries to make a speech at the Girl Scouts Regional Conference in Richmond. Again, it's like Leslie Dope. Yeah. When she has the flu. Yes. Yeah. She's still, she is still out there. Yeah. In 1925, she is told she only has six months to live. So she's had three surgeries at this point. It's not looking great. So she goes to Liverpool to try a new cancer treatment with Dr. William Blair Bell. Right. And the part of the treatment is an IV drip that contains lead. That was like one of the things that they were attempting to use for the treatment. Yeah. And the treatment, not only does the treatment not work, she then spends her 66th birthday fighting lead poisoning. Well, yeah, she was being poisoned with lead. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so after this, she returns home to Savannah just to spend the time that she has left in her home, right? Mm-hmm. And she dies on January 17th, 1927 at 66 years old. Um, an honor guard of Girl Scouts carries her, ca- or uh, escorts her casket. Sure. Um, at her funeral at Christ Church, 250 Girl Scouts leave school early that day to Aww. attend her funeral and burial. And she's buried in a Girl Scout uniform with a note in her pocket that says, you are not only the first Girl Scout, but the best Girl Scout of them all. Which Aww. gets me choked up. It's very <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yeah, <Aww>. same. <laughs> I wasn't ready to tear up in the Girl Scouts episode. I should have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, And then posthumously, she has a ton of honors. Um, well, sure. I did not list them all. I just picked a few that I thought were the most interesting. Uh, in 1948, the U.S. honors her on a postage stamp. Right. Now, this is very interesting because, at the time, the post office had a policy of not honoring civic organizations. Right. Sure. So, in order for this to happen, it takes a joint resolution of Congress <laughs> and the approval of President Harry S. Truman <laughs> to allow the stamp to be produced at all. Hey, that's how these things happen. Somebody um, makes enough of an impression. You know? It at the time also, Bess Truman was the honorary president of the Girl Scouts. Uh-huh. So it seems very likely that that helped. She said, "I have pull, and I'm going to use it." Yeah. Uh, in 1965, her home is listed as a national historic landmark. Mm-hmm. Girl Scouts frequently visit her house. Um, field trips. Yeah. Yes. This, I thought, was very interesting. I'm just going to read the whole thing because I had never heard about this before. Uh, Juliet also donated a seven-acre park in Savannah, which bears her name. The park, which was originally part of her family homestead, and the remainder of which was developed into the Gordston neighborhood. Uh, Gordston. Gordonston, yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, has been the center of a long-running dispute between the Gordonston residents and non-residents as to whether the park was donated to the residents of Gordonston or to the residents of Savannah at large. Oh. So she donates this land to the city, but because it is in the neighborhood donated and named after her family, the question is, was it donated to the neighborhood or donated to the city? I don't know why. I just thought that disagreement was really interesting. That's such a, like, it's such an American thing. Yeah. Um, in 1979, she is inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Of course. 
And on May 29th, 2012, the Girl Scout centennial anniversary is commemorated. And Obama gave Juliet the Presidential Medal of Freedom that's posthumously. Right, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that. And that's Juliet. Very cool. I love her. I love the Girl so, Scouts. Yeah, I love the Girl Scouts too. It's so interesting. I genuinely yeah. think they're a spectacular organization. And you see, you know, you'll see people now be very skeptical of scouting organizations because of well, the history the Boy of Scouts. the Boy Scouts. <laughs> right. Um but the Girl Scouts have very consistently been yeah. on the good side of that. I mean, like, not to say that it hasn't been without its issues, because right. every organization, of course, has. Right. But but they yeah. have been very on top of including gender nonconforming people. Mm-hmm. Um, Social and progress. They have trans girls. They are very on top of like yeah. they they allow well the, i mean i knew boys who were honorary girl scouts i was in my just childhood. gonna say even when i was a kid in the 90s there were boys who were honorary, honorary scouts. scouts and they could come to the meetings yeah they could participate in pretty much everything yeah i don't i we didn't have any in our troop but there were other troops in the area yeah. that definitely um they have very consistently had very like ethical practices for their cookie sales and yeah they are very transparent about where that money goes and it all goes towards supportive organizations and back into right. their troops like right. i and they take feedback well as far they as do. i know you know yeah. I'm not in the organization but mm-hmm. you know every time there has been an ask yeah what what the is... girl scouts do this or that if it's the right thing to do yeah yeah, it. it is. It is an organization that I am like very proud to be a lifelong member. Oh yeah, of. I'm proud like, to have been a part of it at all. Yeah, you know? it makes me happy to still see troops and like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. I love the Girl Scouts. Me too. Love the Girl Scouts. Love the Girl Scout cookies. Yeah. <sighs> love the Girl Scout aesthetic. The uniforms. The Get green is such a. I was telling the my green friends, is classic. I was telling my friends the other day when I was in uh between a sophomore and a junior. I can't remember how old I was. Mm-hmm. I went on a trip with my Girl Scout troop to New York, and we went to the um headquarters while we were there, right. and we got to met, meet the president at the time. It, we like we didn't know she was going to be there. We were just touring the building, and then she was there, and they were like, "Oh, there's a troop in the building. Do you want to meet them?" And she was like, "Sure." So we got to sit down with her, and I was showing my friends a picture. She was in a Full top to bottom green pantsuit. Well, not pantsuit. She had the skirt. Power <laughs> suit. Um, in the Girl Scout green Girl Scout on green. the random day that we were there. That was what she was wearing. She it probably was such wears a serve. Something like that every time she goes to the headquarters. Yeah, you know, it was such a serve. Case. I loved it. I love that. Yeah, and you didn't get to wear the green uniform, right? Because you were no. That's you wore blue. Yeah, I was. I was khaki. Right. Jesus is blue. That's brownies right. is brown. Juniors is green. Well, cadets and seniors are khaki. Oh, right. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking that darker blue. I don't know why that all lives in my um, brain, but it sure does. Yeah. I, I loved my brownies vest. We still have it. I had tons of patches on my brownies mm-hmm. vest. I have my sash. It is full. The year, I think it was brownies, was the year they had the triangular badges. I love um, the triangular badges. And those were my They all slot together. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's great. I love being a Girl Scout. And my troop was a little non-traditional because we had a leader who was not super nature. <laughs> nature. Same, same. So a lot of our outdoor activities became less outdoors. And that was okay for me as a kid. Um, but we got to do a lot of cool stuff. We, we never went to a Girl Scout camp. We did the camps at our leader's house because she kind of lived out on a back road. And so 
there was plenty of mm-hmm. room to camp. So we did that. I never went to like the official camp, which honestly I'm kind of thankful for. It would have been a lot for me as a kid, yeah. but I probably wouldn't have gone. Um, but yeah, Girl Scouts was so fun. It was such a great way to get together with your friends regularly and mm-hmm. learn new it's, things. It and- is an excellent third space. Absolutely it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. And especially for a kid like me who like, I wasn't in sports, really. I mm-hmm. wasn't in that many clubs. Um, it is a non-athletic, the... non-religious third space. Yeah, I, you know, and I wasn't in, like, academic clubs or anything when I was in school because it just wasn't for me. But the Girl Scouts, it was just fun. You could do mm-hmm. crafts. There were so many activities to do. It wasn't just one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love the Girl Scouts. That was a good yeah. topic. Thanks. Loved that one. Well, I don't know what the next one's going to be. Who's to we say? barely had time to think about this one, oh, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. who knows what the next one's going to be? Um, but we are get we are getting so close to fall, my friends. Um, so that means spooky season is a coming. We've got an idea, thanks to um, a recommendation or a request from a listener. We'll talk more about it as as we get closer. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but between. Now and then, we're going to need some topic suggestions if you have them. So we would love for you to send those to us. You can email us at rememberthatpod. Um, nope. Is that right? I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Yep, that's right. Sorry. That's correct. Yes. <sighs> I'm losing it. We're on um, it. You can also follow us on Instagram at rttpod. And hey, we're on threads, baby. Ooh. Cause we did. I'm about. Twitter I'm about ready Twitter to get over there. <laughs> oh my god! This morning, I woke up and Elon Musk snuck into my house in the middle of the night and took my Twitter and left X behind, and uh, it made me want to throw it's up. Bad. It's bad. It's Ugh. so bad. So we're on Threads. If anybody wants to come follow us over there, um, same same handle because it matches up with your Instagram. So at RTT Pod. Um, and we would love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this episode. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Oh, I feel like I said all that really fast. I don't know yeah. why. I just did. Here we yep. are. Here I we had are. too much caffeine and not enough food. So we're doing great. Um, <laughs> so thanks for listening. <laughs> and you know what? Until next time. <laughs> Remember that time.